The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, everybody. This is Ian Morgan Cron. Welcome to Typology, the podcast on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of, of the, the Enneagram. Enneagram. I'm here with my good friend, producer, my handler, Anthony Skinner. Ian Cron, how you doing, man? Man, I'm... I am. I've had a wild but wonderful week. Awesome. And it all began. Yes. Earlier this week, when uh, our guest, who's on our show today, right. uh, had to cancel uh, our Monday recording, and right. we did, what did something. We do? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we looked at our watches and went, "Well, what do we do?" That's right. All right. So Let's talk you wanted to? It. I mean, all right. So we we. We were at a, let's be honest, okay? We yeah. were at a cigar smoke That's shop. Right. Yes, There's like we a little were. smoke shop downtown, yep. right? In yep. Franklin, in Franklin. Yeah, where we sit and drink coffee, <clears throat> smoke cigars, and solve the problems of the world. And um, we noticed there's a new a new place that moved in, like two doors down. Two doors down, yeah. it's called Float Spa. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, you want to tell We went people? over, checked it out. I yep. called another mutual friend of ours. Yep. He was down. We made a seven o'clock appointment to go float in a tank. Yeah. Okay. So well, we each had our own tanks. Let's yeah. Let's make not that all clear. be in the same, in the same pods. Whatever That's right. We all had. Called. We each had I, our own. All right. Pod. So if you have never done one of these, uh, what do you call it? Like a what's the environment called? Uh, like sensory deprivation. Yeah, it's, it's distraction free, but you can't hear a thing. You're you're inside of this pod. Yes. It's completely dark. Yeah. I mean, utterly dark. It's sealed. Yeah. You are floating in 10 inches of water that um, has 1,100 pounds of Epsom salt. Epsom salt. So you free float. You can't see. You're just in there and you're like, you know, for an hour to two hours in just kind of this meditative sleep or whatever you want. You know, you're in there. And I thought, ah, this is going to be stupid. This is, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I'm always open for something new. Right. right? Let's give it a shot. It was actually profound. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say I, I found it to be a great place to pray and meditate. Um, but then remember, we came out of the rooms with our pods and we all looked like we were in like altered states and like we'd had the best massage of our lives and they put uh, oxygen on us. Well, they gave us those oxygen O2 mass. things at the end. That's right. <laughs> so we owe a great debt of thanks to our guest today. Yes, we do. Pastor friend, Darren Whitehead. Um, who uh, made it possible by, by blowing a hole in our schedule. <laughs> You're so welcome. On Monday, made it possible for us to float in well, the dark for $70 we for have one mem- hour. We have memberships now, so we'll take you back sometime. <laughs> you, <laughs> it cost you, us a lot of money. You're welcome, you guys. That's unbelievable. You, you, you're welcome. Uh, hey, for those of you who don't know Darren, um, you know, he is a, a pastor, an author, um, a wonderful leader, at Church of the City now here in Franklin, Tennessee, exactly one mile from my house, which was a good commute. Yes. It was a great commute yes. today. Um, and uh, really a thought leader, I think, <clears throat> around issues of leadership, uh, spirituality, um, the role of uh, the, the church uh, in the broader world, a vision for it. That's really exciting. And 
you said something interesting when we began, which was the Enneagram is the only subject that you've encountered that you could talk about pretty much any time. It's true. Yeah, endlessly. I, I never tire of speaking about the Enneagram. I could be uh, laying by a pool on vacation. I could be in a boardroom trying to solve a, a challenge that's going on at our church. It is limitlessly an unlimited fascination to me. Why? Well, I, it, Enneagram personally has been so transformative to me. It's really given me the scaffolding in which to interpret my life and the stories in my life and, and, and where I've been and all of that. But it, it gives me compassion for people. It helps me understand people's core motivations. It helps me appreciate when a certain situation happens, what they perhaps saw that was different than mm. what I saw. And instead mm. of me judging or imposing that my perspective was the correct one, mm-hmm. I have a little bit more compassion that perhaps what they walked away from f- felt like a completely different thing. And they were denoting different meaning and conclusions from what happened. Enneagram has just given me language to be able to understand that or, mm. or at least try to understand that. You know, that's a, that's a, I love that you use the word language because I, I, I do spend a lot of time thinking, you know, given the sort of rise in popularity of the Enneagram in the more broader culture, right? Right. Why? Like what, what accounts for its, you know, popularity or people's fascination with it? Because it's not immediately apparent. Right. right? It, it's like, well, what are, what are they looking for? No, in fact, if you're not familiar with it, it's just annoying. Like if you're around a group yeah. of people, <laughs> yeah, totally. if you're around yeah. a group of people and they start going, oh, you're such a four, and you don't know what they're <laughs> right. talking about, you're right. like, what is this cult? And get away from me. Yeah, right. actually, I kind of feel that way too sometimes now. You know, it's like, uh, it's like please, there are other subjects we could attend Seriously. to. You know? but, but, I, but I think part of it is, part of people's um, sort of enthusiasm about it is finally they have a vernacular right an efficient way to explain um things that they've tried to explain to other people forever yes that takes has taken years for them to explain to other people right and here it ha- it's sort of presented in a way that's efficient clear um that is linear yes. you know it makes sense it's yes. like oh finally this is what i've been trying to tell you about right. me right you know, when they talk to someone else. Yeah, and, and there's a bandwidth as well. So every number, what, what every number looks like when it's healthy and when what every number looks like when it's unhealthy and right. what are the shadow signs. And I, one of the most fascinating parts of Enneagram for me is, is really the shadow side. Yes. And when I am self-observing mm-hmm. or when my wife is self-observing or my wife is observing me and, and highlighting some of the shadows, Enneagram gave vernacular gave language gave definition to some of the things that sometimes you intuitively felt that were probably rearing its head in unhealthy ways Mm -hmm. but you just didn't have a way of defining it i remember reading for the first time the shadow side of my number and just thinking oh my gosh Mm. there are things written here that i would not even want to admit to myself and Deep in my soul, I know are true of me. Mm. And and so rather than just avoiding it, I just stare into it and say, that's true of me. And, and I will be working towards health for the rest of my life around these themes. Okay, so you're an Enneagram 3, a performer or achiever. Yes. You, you 
have alluded now to the fact that you know that uh, there's the shadow side, uh, and as Carl Jung would would say, there's the the golden shadow, right? Which is the those those dimensions of us that are beautiful and wonderful that mm. we have denied, right? Uh, are true about us, you know. Um, so what for you as a three, a person who you know uh, in the Enneagram literature, we'd say your unconscious motivation is a need to succeed, to craft an appearance of success, and to avoid failure at all costs. What's uh, perhaps in the beginning and what do you continue to see? It's like, okay, man, here's what's in the shadow of that. I I feel like, and I've heard you say before, that the that the, of, of all the numbers, the three... Um, threes carry the most amount of shame mm-hmm. around the shadow side. And, and I feel like after I learned about it and after people that I love and that I do life with learned about it, I feel like the three, when the three is unhealthy, it is the most obvious of all the numbers. Then that, mm. that, that may not be true, right. but it feels like it to me. Right. So, I mean, a three, when a three is unhealthy, they are, you know, so much image management it is name dropping. It is uh, uh, trying to uh, impress people, particularly when you're meeting people for the first time, uh, making a great first impression. Right. Shape shifting. Whether you if you if you're talking to intellects, you're intellectual. If you're talking to guys who love sports and drink beer, then you're all of a sudden a sports expert. Right. If someone is uh, into changing the oil in their car and fixing their cars, all of a sudden you you want to talk engines with people. Right. I mean. It's, it's also one of the beautiful things about a three, the ability to be able to relate to a lot of people. Sure. But the, yep. the, the temptation is the, 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 what is believed deep inside a three is um, I am only, my, my value comes exclusively from my performance or um, from the things that I achieve. And so I need to push that out in front of people so that they'll love me. Right. So back in, before you had that level of self-knowledge yeah. and self-awareness, you know, let's roll back the tape for a second. Did, can you, um, is that kind of like how your life rolled? I mean, were you someone that, you know, you were constantly working the crowd to uh, win their admiration and adulation? You know what I mean? Like yeah. to, to feed your maybe sense of lack inside? I've never, I've never asked you about this before, and we've talked about this a lot. But I think, I've heard you ask other people the question before, like, when do you think you really became your number or, mm-hmm. or what was like a defining moment? And I've analyzed this a lot over the years. I think I've probably been on an Enneagram journey for about 10 years now. So, and, and still a novice and scratching the surface. But uh, I think that my threeness really um, uh, blossomed or came to fruition when I was about, 18 or 19, which I feel like is late. I don't know what you would think about yeah. that. But I, I, I was in a small country town and um, I was like, my mum is a two and my dad's a nine. So that says a little bit about my, my childhood. Um, and I've often asked myself, when did I become a three? I think I really became a three. I guess all of the raw material was there as a child. And I'm the firstborn and... I don't know whether that's typical of threes. Are threes more firstborn? Not necessarily. I'm not sure the, the whole birth order thing. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure the degree to which it, it actually plays into anything. Okay. Uh, that, whole, that whole area. Okay. Interesting. So I moved away from the country town into the, one of the largest cities in Australia, a city called Adelaide. And uh, I started attending a large church. 
there aren't many large churches in Australia, um, you know, le- less than 10. And, and I started attending a large church. And all of a sudden I realized that um, I got a lot of uh, recognition. I got a lot of affirmation from leadership gifts, from people skills, and from communication skills. Which, by the way, I didn't even realize I had. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like in, in, right. in, I guess in Australian schools, that wasn't like looked upon as a vocation. I wanted to do right. design as a, as a kid. And, and, and in hindsight, I suck at design. <laughs> and like, like, I mean, you, you kind of like, oh, I'm 44 years old now. You know, thankfully, I kind of found what God had gifted me to do in my early 20s. Right. So I've kind of been running now for two decades on, oh, this is what I'm, I'm best at. Right. Um, but this was an environment where there was enormous amounts of, of affirmation on, on people who had uh, a certain set of gifts. And, um, and it, was a, it was a large church. The interesting thing with all of that as well is because it's a religious community, it's a, it's a church, mixed in with all of that in all kinds of unhealthy ways is like this approval from God as well or the call of God on someone's life or, mm. or, or you know, like how God sets people apart or, or, or whatever. And so I was looking for, I, I, my 44-year-old brain now can see my 18-year-old life and I was looking for approval from a collection of leaders. But I was also, that, that was um, enmeshed with this approval from God as well. Like I need a, have a certain set of skills. I need to develop those because that's what God likes too. You mentioned it before, but it's, it's, there are certain things worth repeating. Every Enneagram number, and Don Miller and I actually spoke about this last week yeah. on the show. Um, you know, every Enneagram number um, is not just a description of a type, but it's really the, the plot of a narrative. Yeah. It's a story, hmm. right? And if the unconscious motivation, you know, like uh, is for the perfectionist, you know, I, uh, I need to perfect myself, others, and the world, avoid blame, you know, uh, and criticism, uh, to be right. Um, and in the background of all these things, you know, let's face it, there's a hunger for safety or for love or for um, the ability to uh, influence or impact the world around us, just basic needs, right? Yeah. Um, but every single one of those stories of each number's unconscious motivation is in direct opposition to the, the, the narrative of the gospel. Right, right. Isn't that amazing? It, it's amazing. It's so true. So you were trying to uh, slake an appropriate thirst. Yes. Which is, yes. you know, nothing wrong with yes. saying I want to be successful. I want to use my gifts of speaking and my charisma and all these things, which are wonderful gifts. Right. But so what goes wrong in the narrative? Like, in other words, um, is it that trying to get those needs, as Merton would say, uh, on your own terms, beyond the reach of God's love? Yes. Is that, is that the problem? Yeah. Is that what happens? You know, what happened with me, which is so funny, again, reading my life in those couple of years that I had, 18, 19, 20, 21, I had like this microwave experience of ascending very, very fast in that environment. They took notice of me. And you got to understand, like, I, I wasn't a communicator or a leader or a, a guy that was able to, right. um, y- you know, gather, convene people and all that. I just discovered during those years that I could do that. 
And and I was self-observing, like, I think I can do this maybe easier than other people. I felt like I was just sort of discovering the way that God had made me. And then I got tons of affirmation for doing that. And so then I just started doing more and more and more and more. And at about the age of 21, which sounds comical, but at the age of 21, I burned out. <laughs> no, I can hear that from a three. Like I, like I burned out at 21. Wow. I was leading multiple Bible studies in the week. I was yeah. like, I was, I was highly involved at this particular church. And this church said it was a driven place. And it, you know, it both helped and hurt me. And, and I just sort of gave myself to right. it completely. And I burned out at 21. Yep. And, um, and so I had like this experience where at the end I was, I was exhausted. I was licking my wounds. And the places that I went to in my soul is I felt used. And I felt like people don't love me. They love what I do. And when I stop performing... They, they they discard me like a battery that's lost its charge, mm. and and so that sent me inward for a while, and and I made a a, a decision that I was never going to work for a church, I was never going to be a pastor, I, like that was that was just clearly not going to be for me. I was right. I was wounded. Mm. It's so funny the way you were describing that. You know when I've sat with guys who and women who worked on Wall Street, yeah. And it's so funny to hear it's the same dynamic. Right. Right. They, you know, they realize that at some point they have burned themselves to a crisp. Right. Right. They have reached the end of whatever it was that that drug of adulation or admiration has given them. And they realize that they're replaceable, which, of course, no one believes. Or right. Threes definitely don't want to believe they're replaceable. <laughs> right. right. Or fours, for that matter. Sure. Right. <laughs> so I came across a quote the other day, and I, as you were that just blew me away. In fact, I was speaking somewhere the other day, and I, I, I closed this talk with this quote, and I actually choked up. Have hmm. uh, you had that happen where you say something, you're like, uh-oh, what? Yeah. I am about to be overwhelmed by a feeling that was unplanned. Right, right, right. This emotion is so much closer to the surface than I was expecting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it was from St. Augustine, and he, he said, and I was, I was actually speaking on the topic of, of um, um, ambition. Hmm. And Augustine had a lot to say about ambition. Yeah. You know, and he said, um, incredible. He said, be our glory for your sake. Let us be loved. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For your sake, let us be loved. Yeah. How does that land for you when I say uh, that? I mean, these are just the words that a three spends the rest of their life trying to deeply believe mm-hmm. you know trying to to take that on you know I, I i you know embedded in the gospel jesus is jesus is baptized at the age of 30 and every three needs to hear the words that came from heaven this is my beloved son this is my son whom i love and in him i'm well pleased pleased for what mm-hmm. he hadn't even done anything his ministry hadn't begun you know, so he's pleased, what, because he worked in obscurity as a cabinet maker, you know? I I will spend the rest of my life um digesting and and, and, and longing to, to believe that. I I think that, that is the, that is my path to freedom, understanding that that's how much God loves me. Apart from any achievements, successes, right. uh, who your friendship who you're friends with or right. not from right, right? Yeah. Right. Does it ever get through to anyone, Darren? I mean, regardless of type. You, you know, know, I remember being in therapy um, maybe 15 years ago. 
and I was working at a large church at the time and I remember saying something to my therapist and and having like this epiphany and I said wait I'm going to be wrestling with this for the rest of my life like I'm not going to beat this I'm not going to conquer this and he just smiled like Yes, grasshopper, you're fine. <laughs> yes, grasshopper. <laughs> the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at hashtagrenew.com. <laughs> okay, so let's go here. What drove you into therapy as a three? Like, because threes are not usually the... Usually their spouses drag them in. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's because, like, well, he, he or she doesn't understand feelings or, you know, like, what what was it for you that, that pushed you into therapy? Well... You got to understand about me. I'm an Australian, mm-hmm. and and so uh, an Aussie three moving to the United States. If 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 I don't know what you think about this, I think if the United States had a number, it would be three. I have an opinion. Okay, yeah, yeah. so um, this environment, the the United States as a playground, is intoxicating for a, a, an Australian three. Yeah. Um, and what number is Australia? You think if you had to sort of peg Australia as an enneagram number, like and we all know this is reductive and somewhat kind of probably a, a nine. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I've only been yeah. to Sydney, so I don't. I don't. It could you be. Know. It could be a six. It could be a nine or a six. The um, Aussies are so laid back, and Aussies are kind of Aussies have um, a tall poppy syndrome, which is this idea of if anyone's successful. Australians mm-hmm. criticize them like crazy. Oh, well, so instead Brits of too, yeah, right. That, that, so yeah. instead of celebrating one of their own, they're like, "Duh, you know what he did to have to get there." You know, right. I mean, yeah. it's there's like this reverberating insecurity that someone's successful, and the only way for me to feel better about myself is to just really criticize Bring them, down them a right? Yeah. And Americans aren't like that. Mm-mm. Americans celebrate success stories, and so that was all new for me when I yeah. moved here when I was wow. 23. But. um I, I often look at my life and I and I think all right so I'm I'm a I'm an accidental pastor. Um, what I mean by that is I, I came to the United States to work in radio. I came here to work in Christian radio, and I was lining up in Melbourne, Australia, at the American Embassy to try and get a work permit. And um, I'd already filed my petition, and when I got to the front of the line, they handed me a, a, a visa, and it was a visa that I was not eligible for i didn't qualify for this visa i was not and they gave me a religious workers visa they gave me a pastor's visa they made an administrative (laughs) error and that is how i got a pastor's (laughs) visa no no kidding sometimes people ask me how did the lord call you into the ministry i say the u.s government called me into this thing oh my god so i like fantastic like out of fear of deportation, I just keep preaching every week. I mean, that is just like. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reluctant, accidental pastor. I know that sounds very serendipitous when it comes to calling, but um, that's what happened for me. So I end up landing in the church track, and then I end up um, 
joining the staff of a church in Nashville. And then uh, six years later, I go to a church in Chicago, Willow Creek. I'm there for nearly 10 years. During my time at Willow, I, I, I again hit this point of exhaustion. Right. And um, my wife encouraged me to go see a therapist because I was so tired, so exhausted, so, so wrung out. Um, the, the emotional gauges in my life had just hit zero. And, um, and I just remember looking at this therapist and saying, um, you know, this is the kind of situation that I'm in. And, and he asked, um, why are you always over committing and saying yes to things you should be saying no to? And I thought, this is going to get expensive. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was a that was a journey of a while of me trying to get underneath all of that. And that's mm. really me. I didn't have the Enneagram language at that time, but that was really me learning right. that um, I, I evaluate myself on my performance. I evaluate other people on their performance. Um, and and a couple of things that happened at church where I was getting criticized really, really hard. And mm. I started having nightmares about it. Mm. I had trouble sleeping. I had this reoccurring dream that um, there were a collection of, of leaders that were together and they were circled up and I was on the outside of it. And I walked up to them and they all just looked at me like, you do not belong here. Wow. Mm. And that was the dream that I kept having over and over again. And, um, and it, it, you know, you look back on it now and you're like, that's so silly. What a weird metaphor. At the time, it, it was shouting in my soul. Mm-hmm. It felt dark. So the, I want to I hit that for a second because, you know, I am a Jungian. So the, the, you got this, you've had this dream. It's, it's a group of pastors in a circle, you said? It was Who's a group a of staff. It was, it was a, a, a group of staff and, and they were people that I was supposed to be leading. Oh, okay. And so you're about to you interpret know, my dream. Wow. No, I'm, no, it fast. This is so getting fascinates good. Me. <laughs> so. But the question is, okay, so... Am I going to have to write you a check at the end yeah, of this? you might. So, uh, meter's running. Hit it, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you, like, um, they're looking at you as if you, you don't belong, right? Yes. Uh, sort of shorning you in some way, right? Uh, yeah. Right. So, like, is that a shame dream? Is that like a, a you don't belong, um, you will be left outside the city gates? You know what I mean? What, yeah. What, what, like, what... Where does that land in you as a three? What's that message? I, you know, I, I think it's a part of that. I think it's, it's, it's getting at some of the core brokenness of the three. And that is, oh, well, then I will work harder to show you that I do belong here. Mm. And I'm going to be who this role requires me to be to win and be successful and to, you know, like it. Right. It, it it's kind of like speaking that same idea in there that you're only as good as as your achievement. Okay, so for a three or for anybody, but let's say through your, through the lens of the Enneagram and a three, what because we throw that word around a lot, you know, the importance of belonging, you yeah. know, or be a place of blah 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 blah. blah. I don't want to be cynical about it, but it is one of those words that gets sort of tired. What what does that mean to you to belong? As a three, what is belonging? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What, how would you know you were experiencing it? Well, I think that there's the pursuit of belonging and then there is true belonging. I think the pursuit of belonging for me has been um, b- 
being who I needed to be to belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and threes are good at like wearing multiple hats right. and, and at times wearing them surprisingly well. Yeah. To the, to the point that you actually believe the hat. You're right, right. Exactly. Exactly. I think belonging is what I feel now with my wife and my three little girls because I'm not on, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not funny or inspiring or clever or intelligent mm-hmm. or I'm just dad. Right. And, and, and my girls really want just dad. They don't want me to impress them. Right. They, they, they don't care at all about my job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that they would, honestly. Right. I kind of think that they'll think it's cool that, you know, dad does this or he's that guy up there. Or right. They sincerely don't care. In fact, sometimes my, my, my girls are um, 12, almost 10 and 8. And um, my middle daughter has said to me before, when we've been at a restaurant and someone's interrupted us because they right. come to say hi and my kids don't like that. My, my daughter has said, Daddy, I, I wish you worked at Starbucks. <laughs> it can be arranged. <laughs> right, right, right. That's right. right. That's right. Four bad Sundays, it can be arranged. Exactly, yeah. I'm a couple of bad decisions away from that being a reality. Yeah, I'm always one big decision away from Starbucks. Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I just asked that because I think, you know, a lot of people, they come to the Enneagram and they learn their type. And it explains the past, which is kind of cool and exciting, right? Yeah. Uh, or it, it, you know, it makes some explanation, not ex- you know, for what happened. Yeah. It helps them understand why the dynamics uh, in their relationships uh, are what they are in the present, and then they leave it there. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I'm happy to, for that, right? But it is a missed opportunity, and the missed opportunity is the conversation topics that we're throwing around here right now, right? Which is the enneagram is a an entry point into a very deep, threatening, painful, glorious, beautiful possibility of, yeah. of transformation that involves the shadow and the the beauty of who we are, which is as maybe more terrifying than that which we fear is worst about us. Right. You know? Right. Um, so here's a here's a here's a quote for you. I just want to throw out. This is um, from a Ex, you know, do you know Warren Bennis probably? Yeah. The, right? He said this. He says, becoming a leader, which you are. I mean, I just pulled it, by the way. I just pulled it in the parking lot. I could not find a parking space. What day of the week is this, by the way? It's Friday. There's got to be like 3,000 cars in the park. Not, not like, like there's 3,000 cars right outside. It's fantastic, you know, right? Big, big church, you know, gigantic auditorium. So you're clearly a, a gifted leader. Your history shows that. Now listen to this quote from Warren. Becoming a leader is synonymous with becoming yourself. It is precisely that simple, and it is also that difficult. Yeah. Mm. So just unpack that for me. I'm not a leader in the same way that you are, uh, not even close. Um, Is becoming a leader synonymous with becoming yourself? So um, I have not heard that quote before, and I I really like that. I, as a leader... I have learned, so I've been working as a pastor now for 20 years. And, um, you know, you're influenced by lots of different people. I've been influenced by lots of different people and all of that. What I have, what I have learned and, and am learning is that I've got to be me. 
Like I've got to do my version of this. Mm-hmm. And um, threes, I, I guess all, all numbers are plagued with this, but threes particularly are plagued with comparison mm. and, and looking at other people who, who seem to be more successful and, and, and feeling maybe shame about that and then looking at people that aren't successful and feeling a sense of pride about that perhaps. Um, my closest friend of 26 years, a guy named John Tyson, he's in um, New York City, not an Aussie guy. We've been best friends for 26 years. He he used an analogy once that that I've just lifted, and it was ironically enough something that we did together. We trained for the Chicago Marathon together. He was living in New York. I was in Chicago, and, and and we ran this we ran this marathon together. He finished before I did. The fact that I remember that tells you a lot about my threeness. <laughs> but um. W- what I, I remember him coming up with a phrase afterwards that I sometimes say out loud under my breath to myself. And it comes from the idea that like when you run a marathon and, you know, Chicago Marathon, 40,000 people are running. You've got older people, younger people. You've got pro athletes. You've got people that are walking the whole thing. You know, you, you end up getting passed by people that are 20 years older than you. It's humiliating. Um, and they've learned how to run marathons and some people have got different techniques where they walk a mile and then they run and all of this sort of stuff. So the, the, the phrase that I, that I learned to repeat is I've got to run my own race. I've got to run my own race. And being me as a leader when I feel insecure or being me as a leader when I see something else that I perceive as being successful or, or, or whatever, I say out loud to myself sometimes, Darren, run your own race. Be the person that God has called you to be. And um, that means doing my version of what leadership looks like. And it's different than what other people would do and other people that... that um, are very very effective and accomplished leaders and i've got to do my version of this and that is me trying to be as healthy as i possibly can and being me so that that's what i think of when i hear that hey folks i hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series with darren whitehead I'm going to leave you with a little message from Ian about some Enneagram goodies we have at www.iancron.com forward slash shop. Take it away, Ian. Hey, friends. Ian Cron here with exciting news for you. I've created a few great products that'll let you share the gift of the Enneagram with your family, friends, and coworkers this holiday season. Right now, we're offering Enneagram mugs and t-shirts for all nine types. So... If you're looking for something extra special and fun to put under the family tree or as a stocking stuffer or as a gift of appreciation to give one of your coworkers, look no further. Go to www.iancron forward slash shop to buy now. Ho, 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 everybody. See you later.